Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us today as our video comes in and out for the video side. But we are not going to let that deter us. No, no. For we have the voice of the sales rebellion. He is Chris Watson, who joins us on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Now, on the video side, it will not affect anything if you're listening audio side video side it may bounce in and out we'll work on that we're having some webcam issues it's technology but i don't want to get in the way of my conversation with my buddy chris watson who joins us on the intentional encourager podcast chris what's up today man how you doing man i uh i'm doing great man i i this has been something i've been looking forward to all week in fact i would say i've almost been encouraging myself all through the week knowing that this was coming so i've been trying to uh to get juiced, baby, to get ready for it. So I'm really excited to, uh, to chat with you, my man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do it because, again, um, you're a guy that, that exudes a lot of intentional encouragement. And, and I've had you, I've had Dale Dupree, I've had Joy Hewitt Carvajal, I've had Josh Deshay, all you guys from the Sales Rebellion, you're doing some great stuff. So I want to start here. What's the one thing that you are hearing from people out there that they'll call you or they'll email you or text you or whatever, and they'll say, Chris, I am facing this. What's the one thing that you're hearing from most people right now during this pandemic? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's this. It's that something, something is stirring awake inside of them. And when that happens it's forcing us to make a decision. Am I going to keep doing things the way that I've always done them? Or am I going to make the changes that deep down inside I know I want to? And the want is great. It's the how. And it's mm -hmm. even more important is the why, right? And, and I, really, I really feel like it's um, what's occurred is, is that I feel like that every single person, what they've done in their, in their lives for a majority of them is – they have slowly allowed this wound of identity, this wound of purpose to eat away at them. And then now they have this massive hole and they're trying to fill the hole and they fill it with affirmation. They fill it with money. They fill it with telling themselves that everything's great. But what ends up happening is, is that it's like a, it's like a bad itch. It's like, you just get to a point where you're like, okay, I want healing from this. How do I get healing from this? And that's the awakening that's going on with so many people, because here's the deal. It's easier to distract yourself when there wasn't a pandemic going on. Now you've got to live with yourself more. Now you got to look in the mirror more. Now, you know, you're, you're thinking about what your habits are and the rhythm of life. And you're having more forced, meaningful conversations with a spouse, a loved one, a friend, and, and we're all experiencing this in different ways. And so I think this has been, this is, this is close to the great awakening. Um, I know that's a bold statement, but I really think it's like, it's, it's like that, that people have been forced to kind of go through that. So I think that's what they're dealing with. It's that they're having an awakening, something stirring inside. They're trying to figure out how do I heal this hole? How do I feel this, this shaped hole that literally has been eating away at me for X amount of years or whatever they've been going through. Well, and, and I'll say this too, Chris, is that, you know, when, when, when we have those kinds of awakenings in life and we have those kind of, of awakenings in whatever it is that happens to us, it, it's, it's like we don't want to go through the pain of something to get to that point, but without the pain, you, you can't face that. And now even we're not able in some cases to hug people that we love. We, we you know, we're, we're distanced from grandparents and, and things like that out of a measure and a modicum of, of precaution. As you're coaching salespeople, what are they thinking early as far as, man, Chris, I've never faced this in sales and this is scaring the daylights out of me. What's one thing that you're hearing them say that I haven't faced this and I don't know how quite to face it? Uh, so it's twofold. So one of them is 
everything that you're talking about, everything we're talking about, about kind of this awakening and this awareness is happening to business owners. It's happening to their prospects. It's happening to, and they don't know almost how to handle it when that individual breaks down or that individual is asking something of them or the individual says, you know, Brian, I really would love to purchase XYZ widget, but I don't even know I'll have a job next week. They don't know how to manage that because now their role as salesperson has almost shifted into great listener, intentional encourager, counselor, and they don't know that. So that, that's one. And then two, I think a lot of them, they want to, to be real, be honest, and not almost use the quarantine and the pandemic as leverage to close business. Because for them, that feels dirty and wrong. And uh, so I think those are the main, the main two that I would say. And if I had to go 2A, it would be they're having these feelings with, without the ongoing love and fellowship you're talking about. They're having these feelings, and these feelings are sometimes so debilitating. They don't know how to do their job the way they used to do their job or the way they're being instructed or led or managed to do their job because they've had this awakening, and they realize, I don't want to do it this way anymore. Chris, I love what you said there because it is so important to remind people that it's okay to be successful in a pandemic. It's perfectly okay to just say, you know what? Because there are companies right now that are absolutely blowing it out of the water in this pandemic because they're hitting the right notes and they're supplying those things that people need. There are salespeople that are killing it right now because they're hitting those notes. How important is it? You're the voice of the sales rebellion. So I want to, I want to park here for just a minute. How important is it to know your own internal voice when everybody else you should be saying this or listening to this? How important it is, is it to listen to your own internal voice? You know what? Um, I don't know about your listeners beyond God himself speaking to me, their Holy spirit moving me. It's the most important voice because the story we tell ourselves is what actions will naturally come out. And, you know, I think Tony Robbins says it, that like where our focus goes, our energy flows. So when I start telling myself, I'm not good enough, or I start telling myself, I gotta sell this to companies that need it right now because there's a real need during the pandemic. When I start telling myself that story, naturally my energy is gonna flow there. Yeah. And so I think it, it, it honestly is, and here's the other piece. Let's be really blunt about it, Brian. Let's not hurt any feelings, but let's be honest about it. Is that that story is usually the the mixtape that they go back to, the playlist that they go back to. Yeah, the it's harder a great point, Chris. Right, right. The harder part is, you know, you, you've done radio, right? There's always that go-to. Like, oh, this is a fan favorite. Well, we have our fan favorite of like, you know what? I'm going to go back to that and I'm going to say, I'm an imposter. I don't belong in this room. Or, man, I didn't hit my quota, I'm, and I'm only worth my quota. So I think everyone has that mixtape. And, and to speak about the rebellion for just a half a second, I think that's what we're trying to do is the awakening of it's time to destroy that tape. And we want to give you a better mixtape, a better playlist, a better role in your own life story for the future. Yeah, because here's the thing. People will say to me, they'll say, Brian, when did you discover you had this voice? When did you discover that you had a distinctive voice? And I told people, I said, listen, I'm still working on my voice. I work on my voice all the time. I work on, and, and I was telling somebody earlier today, Chris, back in March and April, I started having voice issues and it bothered me. Now I know my voice is on because there's a cut in your voice. So if somebody gets a, eh, you know, a real deep, nice cut in their voice, that's when they know their voice is on. And so for me, it was finding, I'm always working on my voice because that's the most distinguished part that I have. I want to turn on the Intentional Encourager podcast and go, I know I'm going to hear that voice and it's distinctive. And, and, and we have voices, you're talking once about our, our fandom, about being huge baseball fans. I am a, I'm a diehard Cincinnati Reds baseball fan. You, 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 you blistered me unmercifully about being a Reds fan. 
but I couldn't help it because it, I, that's what I grew up on. And, and there was a voice, Marty Brenneman, he was the voice of the Reds. He was the distinguishable voice that I grew up listening to. And there was no doubt about it. When you think about distinguishing voices, and you, you talk about that, how hard is it at times for salespeople to find their own unique voice in the minds of their customers? Well, let's go two steps back and I'll answer your question. So it's like, I'm like a politician, sorry. So <laughs> yeah. what, I would, what I would say is that whether, like I think most salespeople, the tough part is, is, is that we struggle with vulnerability because vulnerability is typically not intentionally taught in the culture of sales. So internally it's not taught, right? So it, like you could be on a team of 55, but you still feel like you're on an island some days, right? And you've been in yeah. this a long, you've been in sales a long time and you, you, you felt that and I felt that and we try to find our pod and our one or two, right? But I think it, it starts from there because, it, you know, uh, there's a great book called the, the Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. And he talks about that, you know, there's three things that everybody wants in an organization. They want to feel, they want to feel safe. They want to feel like there's no threats. They want to feel like they're part of the plan. And then they want vulnerability because they want to be able to be real. So if you imagine a salesperson, well, do they feel safe? I think a lot of them don't. If I don't hit my quota this month, what happens? If I don't hit my quota this year, what happens? So they don't feel safe. They don't know if they're in the plans of the organization long-term because of point one. And then three, there's not really vulnerability because when I start asking my boss questions of, Hey, how do I find my voice with the, with the customer? How do I know that they know how I really feel? The boss is like, Hey, uh, Chris, just keep making your calls. Hey, Chris, just, Hey, Chris. and is that every culture? No, I'm stereotyping. But I think to answer your question, you have to almost go outside of the typical noise in sales to find your authentic voice for what the customer wants to hear. Number two, you have to understand the narrative that they're on. See, I, I believe that sales is more about, uh, you can hear people talking about like trusted advisor and stuff, but a lot of salespeople like to lean on, I'm the hero. I'm as a salesperson. And in actuality, it's opposite. Before you hit record, we were talking about uh, Star Wars, right? And so like, imagine if the movie, you know, the movie had ended where Obi-Wan defeated Darth Vader instead of Luke Skywalker. That would have made no sense. Obi-Wan yeah. was the guide that was helping Luke overcome personal demons, personal issues. He was like, Luke was trying to find his voice metaphorically of who am I? Oh, I'm a Jedi. Wow. So if you don't like Star Wars people, go check it out. Go look at a clip note version. I apologize if it, metaphor makes no sense to you. But the bottom line is, is that we're trying to be the guide and the hero. But here's the thing, Brian. We can't find our authentic voice if we don't know what journey that the buyer needs to be on, what journey that the customer needs to be on. And I can only figure that out through asking very intentional questions and listening and hearing where they're going. And in the pandemic, there's been like, 2x the noise so to answer your question very easily we have to get outside of the normal noise to be able to find our voice well and and that's the thing too chris is is that you're right a lot of the noise that's out there is not intended for you as a salesperson it's not intended for you and if you're listening to it you're doing yourself a disservice mm -hmm. because it was never meant for you to hear it and if you're choosing to hear it it's your own fault you choose, you choose what you get to listen to and what you want to listen to. It's like the mixtape. The mixtape has your jam on it. It doesn't have, you know, if your jam is, um, let's say your jam is, is Ice Cube for, you know, if you, if you like hip hop, you're not throwing in a Celine Dion or a country music song. No, you're not throwing that in your jam because it's not what you want to listen to. It's not what you like. And so I, I agree with you, man. I think salespeople have got to really hone in on their voice. You've got something there before we dive into your, your background and your story. I want to talk to you about what's on your background. You've got stories last forever. And so I want you to, when did you first tap into the power of a good story? in your career because you've shared some on LinkedIn that have been dynamite stories that are real stories. And I'm the same way. I've got them from selling. In fact, dude, I'll, I'll share this with you. I don't know if I ever told you this. I don't know if I ever told the audience this, but 
when I started your book I'm working on now, People Buy From People, the book was going to be, do you have any fries in your trunk? And that was a real question that I got from a restaurant owner one time when I walked into her little restaurant in West Virginia, in a little, in a little river town in West Virginia. I walk in and she's, she's frantic and she goes, Brian, Brian, do you have any fries in your trunk? It's going to be the name of my book. Do you have any fries in your trunk? When you talk about stories and how important stories are to you, when did you learn the power of a good story in sales? Yeah. So, you know, when did I learn? So the power in general, when did I learn it? I learned it from a very young age of being able to inspire people to do more than what they were already doing by telling them the possibility of the future story for them or for us, right? Um, everything from when I wanted to ask a girl out or everything from when I wanted to, you know, get a job and in an interview, I always told a story, um, you know, and, 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 you know, not to get religious, but like the greatest storyteller of all time was Jesus Christ himself. He told incredible stories that were impactful. And so I grew up in the church and I went to Bible school. So I'm listening to the way that, that Jesus mesmerized people by using metaphors. and So then I just picked up on those. Right. And I thought, wow. Okay. So in sales, in sales, I can't, you know, I'm going to be real honest, Brian, like I can't even pinpoint it because I think this is what I do in the rebellion. That's great. Is that I help people find their innate ability of what they do that they think everyone does and say, how can we build upon that? So like, for instance, you might've always been a heavy intentional encourager, but you weren't unaware that you were an intentional encourager until someone pointed out, Brian, man, you encourage me every time we meet. And the way you do it makes me want to go and do more. And it was like, ding, I am an intentional. So I think I just have always done it. I think my dad told stories. I think I saw him tell stories. I think stories were always in me. I used to, I used to write short stories as a kid. I, you know, I, I think as, as, as young people and even early in my sales career, I recognized they sometimes didn't remember Chris Watson, but they remembered Chris Watson's story. And so stories have a way to embed themselves in people's brains that just normal words don't. So yeah. instead of telling them that, you know, the payroll I was selling at automatic data processing was going to do X and X and X for the business. Instead, I told the story of when you go pay taxes and you're shuffling around trying to figure out where is that one form that I needed? Oh no, my business is as at risk that's when you'll remember that the ADP guy was here. That's a yep. story they're like, oh, wow, okay, I really need to Or I tell the backstory. Hey, we just had a farmer, you know, uh, three, about three years ago that if he hadn't had the ADP time manager to know exactly how much, he would have lost $100,000 because he accidentally paid a guy a check, da 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 so on and so forth. So I just found that stories made me more memorable. And then one step further, they remember the story and they say, who told me that? And then they remember the storyteller. And yeah. so I think, you know, um, and it's I a think, powerful, yeah. Chris, it's a powerful connecting bridge because in sales, your job is to connect people. And I've got a quote right here that I came up with. Sales is simply connecting great people to great products with great purpose. And, and, and when you tell stories and when you, when you tell stories, people have that light bulb moment where the story resonates with them and they go, been there, done that, right? I mean, how many of us, they, we hear a story, it's like, yeah, I remember that same thing, man. I, I remember the, the, the way I felt and what I did and, and how I reacted and, and things like that. What is the best story that you have from your sales career that you can think of that you really, it either really made you think or it was really an empowering moment for you where you said, man, oh man, this is something I'll take to my grave with me. I'll never forget this the rest of my life. Yeah. So my, my very first sales job, I, uh, I worked for a regional company. that was kind of like a CentOS. So we sold mats and aprons and mop heads and, you know, not very glamorous work, but you know, it paid the bills. I just gotten married. And, um, I remember I worked on the truck 
I went and picked up the dirty mats and the dirty towels. I went to Tyson. I picked up the lab coats that had chicken guts in it from, from people <laughs> chopping up chickens. Dude, and I was I, I've gone through Tyson's chicken plant in Arkansas. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've been, I've been there, man. And yeah, uh yeah. the cleanest place I've ever been, man. I I so I I feel you, but keep going with your story, man. Yeah, I, yeah. So I go from there. Um, man, isn't that place so cold too? Like in that area that you go in, it's it freezing. It is, man. It is. And I'll share. Yeah, I don't yeah, mean to interrupt do. you, but but they told us when we got through that, through the got into the chicken plant. I had a goatee at the time, and I was about eighty pounds heavier than what I am now. So this is this beard net that they put on me yeah. looked like. I mean, it was like this this wide. And so they're like, they're like, well, we're going to give you a lab coat. I'm like, I need like a four X lab coat. You know, yeah, you got something yeah. big. If you got like a, a sheet, I could wrap around me or something. And they, and they, uh, they gave it to us, but they said, don't unwrap these things until we tell mm -hmm. you to. Mm -hmm. And they said, if you touch anything on the line, we'll have to condemn all the product. I'm like, yeah, that would not be good to go tell my boss be like, yeah, I got kicked out of the Tyson chicken plan on this. <laughs> this expense paid tour you you guys sent us on from Tyson right. University but right. yeah but go on man I had to drop that no that's there. good no it's good so yeah, and, see, and for my, those that didn't see it he was literally doubled Chris was literally doubled over <laughs> laughing hysterically Dude, I mean, th this is we're, we're we're showing the power of stories right now because I I told a micro story and it opened a door to something I had no idea. And that's the power of stories is that sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to tell the, the, you know, the secret sauce story. No, stories are micro moments that cracks the door open. Brian just walked through it. Imagine if he was a buyer. He just walked through it. Well, then now I have an opportunity to talk about, Brian, you're a business owner, man. Do you see yourself as someday becoming Tyson? Oh, no, that's not my dreams or aspirations. Okay, tell me a little bit more about your business because I know Mr. Tyson. He da, 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 da. And then now I have an opportunity to connect with you. And it was all because... I cracked the door open of a Tyson story. Each person has that ability and power uh, to be able to tell those micro stories that crack the door open. They may not step through door one or door two or three or four or six, but maybe door eight. And then now you know that they want to reciprocate this relationship. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, just... you just know, you were at CentOS. No, I totally hijacked your story, dude. Yeah, no, I you're apologize. good. So, no, that's great. So I'm at CentOS. I, I ride on the truck. I do my thing on the truck. And then one day they come in and they go, congratulations, you get to wear a shirt and tie. We promoted you to sales. First sales, first professional sales job that I have. Um, so fast forward, I, uh, my wife's a physician assistant. She, she went to school at Wichita State University, go Shockers. And um, uh, by the she, way, um, I don't mean to rub this in, but my thundering herd two years ago knocked the Shockers out of the, the tournament, the number 13 seed Marshall thundering herd. So I will reciprocate your go shockers with go hurt. And by the way, by the way, you'll get a kick out of this. On a future episode, mm -hmm. we are going to have former Wichita assistant Donnie Jones, who's now the head coach at Stetson. Donnie was actually on the bench with Greg Marshall, who uh -huh. years ago was at Marshall University coaching as an assistant to Greg White. So Donnie will be on an upcoming intentional encourager, but go on. I mean, I just wanted to throw yeah, that no, in there about this, this is phenomenal. Shocker, so. yeah, this is great. This is how you guys are getting a real look and, and uh, a listen to me and uh, me and Brian's conversations. They always go into sports of some way, uh, but so yeah, we just go off into like 50 different <laughs> tangents. Me and, yeah, me yeah, and Watson no, just go where we want to go. But so you get that. So anyway, so yeah, I get, moment. I get the suit and yeah. tie job. Right. And then I, I have a territory and then I go, to a large corporation. Emerson is the name of the corporation. You probably heard of it, Emerson. So I show up there. They have a plant in a small area in Missouri. And it took probably five months where I just went in, went in, went in. And I never once pitched my product. I, she asked me what we did. I said, well, we actually give you guys time back. Well, what do you mean we give you time back? Well, we take care of the things that you don't want to take care of and make it really seamless for your people to be more strategic in the decisions they want to make. And she's like, don't you guys just call, you know, sell mop heads? And, and, and I said, yeah, well, I mean, I guess you could go to Walmart and buy all those, but that's a pain on you. So anyways, my point is I will never forget that all I did was every 
single time I was in Lebanon, Missouri, I went in and met with her. I went in and met with her. I went in and met with her. I got to know her. I got to know her family. I got to know who she was. I told stories of growing up. I told stories of going to Lebanon. I told stories of what happened in a sales call previously. And she's like, really? That happened? Yeah. I was like, you're so nice to me. The last reception. Fast forward, one of the largest deals ever to close at the company. One. Two, it was an online bidding process before online bidding processes were anything within this organization. Three, after I closed the deal, I left the company because my wife and I moved to Wichita. Wichita. Yeah. So I closed this like residual million dollar deal. And then guess what? I get a call a month or two months later. Hey, Chris, this is, I won't say his name, but hey, this is Mr. Bossman over here at, uh, at, our, at our company. I just want to let you know, be looking in the mail. We sent you your commission check. And I go, what? You don't have to send me a commission check. And he's like, oh, no, we're sending you a commission check. So I get this commission check in the mail, which was my largest commission check to date. And I think what stood out to me was this. And this is, this is key, people, when you're listening to this. Please listen to this more than anything. I didn't do anything other than be myself, be a good listener, and be intentional about the emotions I wanted to elicit that day. Joy, happiness, a smile, give her some energy. That's what I did. And I went in there a lot and it took time to develop, but those were my intentions because I knew that there was nothing else I could do. And so I, it's always stuck with me that sometimes when I try to get bigger than myself or think I need to put a mask on and be what they need me to be, I don't. Because when I had the most success, one of the biggest deals of my life, it just came down to me being me, me being yeah. intentional with the emotion I wanted to elicit. Well, and, and again, the biggest piece of advice my dad ever gave me, and it's the, the, the book that I'm, I'm coming down the stretch of finishing at the time that we're recording this. My dad told me 25 years ago, Chris, he said, man, never forget people buy from people. And, and that was the single greatest piece of professional advice I ever got because, again, man, it, it doesn't matter what we're selling, right? It doesn't matter because people want to know that you're interested in what is important to them, and that's what you guys are doing at, at the Sales Rebellion that really – that really speaks to me is you're showing people that look, you don't have to sell like everybody else is selling. You don't have to function like everybody else functions. And, and, do, and Chris, I have always been that kind of guy that didn't want to play in everybody else's sandbox. I wanted to play in different sandboxes because, you know, it gets messy, man. People start throwing sand at each other. Mm -hmm. Like competitors will start throwing sand at you. Like, Hey, get out of my sandbox. I don't. And so again, that's what I love about that. When you got that commission check from that company, what was that moment like? Cause man, everybody's got that moment where they, they, they get something big. Did, did it take your breath when you looked at that and you went, man, oh man, I did this. Yeah. I, I think the feeling really was I went and showed my wife, right? Because uh, Zig Ziglar always talks about, you know, don't like make sure your first fruits of an ex excitement go to the person you love the most. I went to my wife and I'm like, you're not going to believe it. Like you're not going to believe plug, Tom Ziglar will be on a future podcast of the intentional encourager podcast. Oh, so yeah, shameless Tom. plug. Perfect. I know I you love, love shameless plug. So I had to drop that in there. It's not even shameless. I love it. Plug it away. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, uh, what I would say is the, the feeling was, it was accomplished, it was affirmed, but it also opened the opportunity to be like, okay, how much more is there? And I don't mean money. I just mean like, I was just me. And, and, and like, I'll take a moment to say it like this. I think a lot of times salespeople run away from what they're great at. Mm -hmm. They want to be more than what they actually are. And so when you're talking about, playing outside the sandbox. I mean, I bet you can talk to that wall for 25 minutes and have a decent conversation. But I also think you can probably talk to the person in your neighborhood that you haven't met that just moved in. And they're like, you know what? I trust that guy. That's a neighbor I trust. And I believe in him. And it's like, it's naturally different than the sandbox. It's not, 
I forced myself to be intentional outside. No, it's naturally outside the sandbox. Yeah. And I think too many salespeople are running away from what they naturally do because of society, culture, LinkedIn. Oh, I've got to be this. And hey, by the way, guys, I'm a CEO of my own company. It's a, it's, there's one employee and I run it and I'm the founder. And, but I just wanted to let you guys know I'm a CEO. I'm so much more than just sales, sales inside sales specialist. And I, you're running away from who you naturally are and why you've been, why you're, have been given that God-given gift. Well, and for you, man, your story, and I, I want to go here and tell the rest of this story because you've got such a powerful story, the things that you've been through in your life and, and the, the insights that those things have brought from it. So here's your time, man. I, I want to go back into your story even further than that, you know, from point A to how you got to where you were because you had some really poignant moments in your life where there were things that shaped you and made you where the, the guy you are today and helped you find your voice. So, man, the floor is yours. Tell me your story. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town um, in Missouri, or as some people call it, misery. Um, I, I, <laughs> I do not call it that. I had some very great moments. I, um, my mom was pregnant with me in uh, her senior year of high school. I just found out about three years ago that she actually graduated early because my mom's incredibly intelligent and gifted, but she graduated early just because of the shame, just because of, you know, we're talking 1983 and actually we're talking 1982 and you know, there, there wasn't the, the programs that are there. So anyways, her and my dad, uh, you know, my dad was 19. My mom was 18. Uh, we were poor. I was the only kid that really remembers poor uh, because once my sister was born, it wasn't poor anymore. Our first Christmas, we got winter coats from the church. I think my mom and dad that they leaned into the church uh, to be able to get support and love. And, um, and, and that's a whole story in itself because the church even said, you know, my dad's name was Richard. He went by Chip. My mom's name's Debbie. They said, Chip and Debbie, you guys have so many great gifts and talents about you. Why don't you come help with the youth group? And so they brought them in and used their gifts and abilities uh, to almost like flourish and, and give them a, a community, a fellowship. So anyway, so my parents, they couldn't afford it, but they sent us to, to Christian school. Um, I went to public school for a couple of years and then I went to a Christian school and, um, you know, people complain about here and there, but like we didn't have football. Friday night lights was not a world in my life. Uh, we didn't have that. We didn't have baseball. Um, we had soccer. And so what I found, Brian, is that soccer – um, you know, uh, I started preaching a little bit. I started teaching. Like I, I found my life where I always was seeking to play outside of everybody else's norm, outside of the noise. It was like this natural thing that I just wanted to do. And so when I started playing soccer in 1990, there was a lot of colleges that didn't have soccer programs. There, there was a lot of people that were like soccer, soccer wasn't even that big in the nation. Right. So like, that's just one little small micro, but I think just to let people know that I was comfortable being me and I mm -hmm. actually saw it as people remember which one of these things just doesn't belong. Like they remember that, especially if the thing that doesn't belong makes me feel, uh, makes me feel better than the things that are all grouped together. So, you know, to kind of keep progressing, just like, uh, you know, I, I was heavily involved in the church. Like I said, I started coaching, you know, soccer teams. I went and played college soccer. Uh, you know, I, 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 I kind of had this moment in college where I was like, man, I, uh, I want to, I want to have a, a, a great life story. You know, uh, I'm a published author, right? My book's called earn your story. And I think it, it kind of really resonated with me about my sophomore year of like, you know what, I'm not going to be a professional athlete. So I quit and I invested my time into things that I thought, created a better future story for me. And then I got out of Missouri, I went to Kansas, and then now I'm in Dallas. And it was just like the growth that occurred by moving and by going um, really was spurned by a couple things. Um, so when I was 25, my dad was 44, um, I got a phone call, I'm in Las Vegas. And uh, I'd gone on a big road trip with some buddies and my brother calls me and he says, hey, we just found dad in the car, he's not breathing, I think he's gonna die. And they hang up. And I mean, my, and my dad was, uh, <clears throat> sorry, it's been a stressful day. 
when ready for this emotion. But uh, it's all good, out. man. Go for it. It's all good. Don't don't apologize a bit. You know, each of us go through moments in life where uh, we feel unsettled, right? And it wasn't that like. I looked at my dad as like my hero and I wanted to be my dad. It wasn't, it wasn't so much that it was just like, dad was the rock. Dad was the glue. You, you knew you had, you knew he would be there and he'd be available. Now, Brian, um, I didn't know my dad was that for thousands of people. <laughs> I knew he was that for our family. And so I made my, you know, I made, a, I, I, uh, I paid for flight. I went back home. And, um, and, uh, I go to the funeral and, you know, my brother was 19 at the time. My sister was younger. And so it was like, I kind of just stepped into that role and I had to, right. I had to be there to support my mom and be there. So I go to the funeral and I go, Hey mom, I want to speak at the funeral. And she's like, Oh no, you don't want to do that. I'm like, no mom, I need to do that. I, I, I need these. I need to, I, I mean, when someone dies in your life, you have a choice. You can either pick up the torch. You can let it be a pebble in your shoe for a really long time, or it can be a crutch. You have three options and only yeah. three options. And so I chose torch. I'm going to pick up this torch. My dad was doing, and I look in the room and it's standing room only. And there's more people that can even fit. There's people out in the, out in the foyer. And, and uh, I step up and, and I still remember the conversation I had to the day, but I ended it with this. I looked at the front row and we had the richest, wealthiest person from my town in the front row. But guess who was sitting next to him? The janitor from my dad's office. And it was this aha that my dad, his life goal was to impact as many people as he possibly could before he passed away. And so I sat there and I said, you know, look to your left and look to your right and look at these people. And you may not know them, but my dad knew each of you. And imagine if one man can do this and impact this many people, how, can't, how can that not charge us up to carry that and say, I just want to be me. You know, my dad wasn't a published author. My dad wasn't a speaker. My dad wasn't, uh, he wasn't any of those things. Let's not, let's not do this like, oh, he was the greatest man of all time. No, he wasn't. He was him and he knew who he was and he naturally was that. My dad had open heart surgery when he was three. He had another surgery when he was 14. He went to two a day football practices after he had his second open heart surgery. Three days later, he's out there playing football. Uh, my dad was adopted, didn't really know his own dad. Like my dad had some things where he had to break some generational curses that was in his life to be able to be what he was for me. And so in doing that, he gave me everything that he possibly could. So it was my responsibility, just as all of our responsibility, to look at our legacy and make a decision. Are we building on top of that legacy? Even if that legacy is crud, great, let's bury it and start from a great foundation of what we learned from that poor example. Mine was a great legacy, but I, every parent wants their kid to grow upon. So what did I do? I took risks. I told stories. I invested in people. Um, so I, I leave Wichita, Kansas. My dad dies. I'm working at a Fortune 500 company. I quit. I take a 50% pay cut, and I go into education. I become a teacher and a coach. Why did I do that? Because my sophomore year of high school, my dad set me down. We're having, a, uh, we're having spaghetti red. If you're ever in Joplin, Missouri, you go to a place called Fred and Reds, and it has spaghetti red. If you've never had spaghetti red, I don't even know how to explain it. But you got to go there and eat, and it's in a small tin building. So anyways, me and my dad are eating there. What do you want to do with your life? I'm like, Dad, that's such a big question. No, just think about it. Like, what do you want to do? Like, what are you great at? What do you – and I was like, oh, I want to get into – I think I'm going to go work for Pepsi. You know, this is Pepsi generation, man. This is 2000s. I think I'm going to go work for Pepsi and get in advertising and sales and marketing. And he goes, well, I know I'm just your dad. That was kind of his thing. I know I'm just your dad. But I want to tell you, I think you'd be great at teaching and coaching and – Young people, if you ask them what are the five most influential people in their life, they're going to see a teacher and coach somewhere in those five. And I think you'd be great at that. And yeah. so dad passes away. You know, I realize corporate, I'm making six figure. I was making more money than my dad when he died at 25. Cor company cars, stock, all the, all the stuff, right? American dream, right? And I, I'm sorry, Brian, if I'm going too long on this. No, I, you're, you're good because here's the thing, man. I'm listening to your story and it's my story, except I had to live it at 40 instead of 25. I, I remember getting that phone call in Boone, North Carolina from my sister. And I had talked to my dad at four o'clock the day before. And my sister calls me and my sister never calls me. 
I have a middle sister and a, and a younger sister that's 17 years younger than I am. My middle sister never calls me and she goes, dad's gone. And I'm like, what? We work together. I was going to see my dad the next day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now all of a sudden, but Chris, here's what I learned, man, at 40 years old. I had that same moment. I, I told my mom, I said, I'm the last one's going to speak. I planned the funeral. I said, mm -hmm. I'm the last. Because there's something there, and, and I want to speak to somebody and piggyback off of what Chris is saying. There are just times in your life where you've got to be the one that speaks for your family, or you've got to be the one that speaks for that situation in time. And even though my dad pastored a church, and even though he had, he had uh, elders and deacons that helped him, and I didn't go to my dad's church, but I said, you know, guys, I, I'm closing this thing out. In same situation, funeral homes packed full of people. It's a Monday afternoon at about 5.45 or 5.50, I step up. And I'm going to deliver I'm going to deliver this thing because for 40 years, my dad was pouring into me. My dad, my, my mom and dad got married at 18 and 16, had me at 19. My dad was 19 when I was born. And so for 40 years of my life, man, it's me and him. And so I, I remember that moment for me, Chris, I stepped up and I was like, I'm going to tell you the story from my perspective. And I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you the three things my dad taught me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you in this moment. And, dude, here's, here's how nuts this was, okay? My dad and I were the same size because I had weight loss surgery and I'd lost a bunch of weight. My dad and I are, are about the same size. I'm about an inch taller than my dad. We wore the same size suit. I wore one of his suits at the mm. funeral, wore one of his ties. I literally thought about shaving my beard and putting glasses on to honor my dad, my <laughs> wife goes, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to freak people out. If you do that, you're going to freak people out. And they, and my dad was cremated, but he was still there in the funeral home because they hadn't gotten that done yet. So I thought that was ironic because my dad was still there. Mm -hmm. And I thought maybe, maybe the Lord will let him hear some of this. Maybe, maybe he'll, he'll get to, to hear how this goes. And I just remember that was the moment that I think everything my dad was pouring into me for 40 years was culminated in that moment. Mm. I heard the same thing in your voice when you were talking about that. I thought, my goodness, man, that was me. You just had to do it 15 years earlier than I mm -hmm. did because I, you know, I was a parent. I, I, you know, my son is the oldest grandchild and, and I had to, I just had to step into that moment. My sisters weren't going to do it. My mom wasn't going to do it. They were all shell-shocked. And so somebody had, to, somebody had to take the ball. And so, man, I totally understand that. And I think there are people that are walking in that same road right now mm -hmm. that have been shell-shocked by life, mm -hmm. that are hearing two dudes talk about the time that the absolute bomb dropped, the A-bomb dropped into their lives. And if you can hear Chris Watson say, this is how I got through it, and hear Brian Sexton go, this is how I got through it, we are living testimonies that you can get through it. And not only can you survive, you can thrive. And so, man, I had to jump. But, but please, I, I want to hear the rest of the story. I think our audience does too. You go into teaching and coaching – and what was that transition? Because you gave up stuff that people are going, Chris, you're giving up a six-figure income to make probably 30000 bucks a year. <laughs> what was that transition like for you? Yeah, well, and, and, and to take it one step further, I even, my first teaching job was in a inner city school here in Dallas where 98% of the kids are on a free and reduced lunch is what they call it. And they're a title school you know, our first teacher training, there was a drive-by shooting. Um, and, and I'm talk about like, dad, I went in and whoa, okay, this is, this is even more than what I expected it to be. Um, but you know, what's funny is what you just said. That's what the kids said. 
Cause I told them the same story. I told them the story, like why I'm here. And they're like, why are you here? Like that's what they couldn't understand because what they were seeking was the monetary, the money, the college degree, the whatever. Right. And all I would tell you is that, um, what I recognized was, and, and this is, this is the, the poetic thing about it. Is if that I young- had a drive-by shooting on my first day at a new job, <laughs> A, I would have to need clean underwear. And two, I would be like, I got to reevaluate. Because I'm sitting there listening to this, and I'm sitting there going, a drive-by shooting on your first day of your new job. It, it, go it, please, man. Go, go. There's got to be more to this story. Go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean – you know, the, there were times where my, my car keys would get stolen off my desk and kids would move my car and they would say, you know, there was a kid named Tiny who wasn't tiny. He was about 300 pounds. And he said, Mr. Watson, I like you. I like, the, I like the stories you tell. I like the way you run your class. But you wrote up my friend Juan, don't ever write him up again or that you will never get this car back. Like there was that kind of things that were going on. Here's what I saw, Brian. I did not see the crime and the, and the whatever I saw through all that to say, these kids are looking for a mentor. These kids are looking for somebody to, to direct and lead and and coach and develop what they have. So, so here's, what's funny is fast forward. I did the same thing that, that I, I did the same thing that I do for salespeople now that I did for those kids. I said, I said, you know, tiny, you're one of the biggest drug dealers in the school. We all know it. But did you know that makes you a phenomenal entrepreneur? Did you know you have skills to like do numbers in your head financially where you could do X, X job or X job? Or, and I tried to find what they were so great innately at that people were saying, I can't believe you do this. I can't believe you do this. And then flip it to say, dude, this is your superpower. And it was an aha for these young people. Well, fast forward, I, had, I always taught seniors. So what was great was, I'm teaching them about adulthood. They go into adulthood. And then like, I got texted two days ago from one of my former students from seven years ago. And they ping me back and they say, and it, you know, some of it's, can I put you down for a reference? Some of it's like, yo, Coach Watson, what's been going on in your world? And then some of it is, you know, Coach Watson, I'm really struggling. I need some coaching. And they just took their brand new sales job. And here I am coaching one of my former students. And so to fast forward the whole thing, here's what I'm gonna tell you. Young people have the pulse on our culture. Whether we like it or not, they have a pulse on our culture. Your son, your oldest son, he has a pulse on what's going on in culture, whether he buys in, doesn't buy in, you know, they're the ones to, to be early adopters of social media. They're the ones to be early adopters of trends, right? And so I think for us to excuse that is really shallow. And so I tried to embrace that and hear what the kids were saying and hear what they were going through. Um, you know, the title one situation of being in the poor school was really great for me. Uh, because I think it squashed some stereotypes, it squashed some thoughts I had, and it's opened my mind to a bigger world than what I experienced in uh, Southwest Missouri, uh, yeah. where I lived, right? I went from that school to one of the wealthiest schools in North Texas. So I got to see both, both ends of the spectrum. But Brian, the kids were struggling with the exact same things. Identity, purpose, where, where should I put my energy and time? How do I invest in that? And they had no idea about their future. So fast forward, I published a book. I started speaking on the book. The book's called Earn Your Story. But here's the whole purpose of it. I believe that we need to be accountable to the story they're going to tell about us. And I've never seen a square footage of a home on a tombstone. My dad's net worth wasn't on his tombstone. It was beloved father, beloved son, beloved husband. So if what we're going to be remembered as, as those roles, why do we focus so much on these other things. And the whole book is how do we earn a great or the greatest life story that will ever be told. And so I just traveled around the country and I spoke to different groups and I spoke to kids and I went to high schools and I started speaking and speaking and speaking. And then um, this could be hard for people to, to probably fathom, but like I only met Dale in the sales rebellion about a year ago and we met at a conference and Dale's like, dude, you got to come on. And I'm like, like you like stories. I had given up. It was, I was done. I wasn't going to do any social media. I wasn't going to speak. I wasn't going to write. I hadn't hit traction. And I think it had to do with what you were talking about earlier is I was always playing outside the sandbox. And so I wasn't being accepted. So I was, I was starting to kind of like, 
okay, what do I need to do? Okay, I need a, a marketing funnel at the top and I need them to fill out this form and I need to get my list on MailChimp and I need it. And I was putting on the mask of what I thought I needed to be instead of just being who I was. And Dale Dupree, shout out Dale Dupree, grabbed me. A guest on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Grabs me and says, um, I just want you to be you. And that is, I'm going to plug, that is the rebellion as a whole. The rebellion is come as you are. Yeah. Come as you are. When you have that awakening, come as you are. Dan's one of the easiest guys to connect with, too. Oh, it's it. He's one of the, because we connected, we, 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 were, we were connected to each other. But then last, last summer, we really just started having some conversations. And, and, you know, we connected over our dads and things like that. He's really an easy guy to connect to. And, and I can't help but think that he was the guy the Lord sent to you in the time that you probably needed somebody like that sent to you. So what's been the biggest lesson that you've learned since you've been a part of the sales rebellion that, again, was that moment for you, that kind of that aha moment of this is why I'm supposed to be here right now in this place? There are, and it, it breaks my heart every time. There are too many people that are, they're doing three things. One, they're doubting their own story. They don't think it's good enough or they're so ashamed of it. They don't know how to communicate it. When they go through trials and errors in life, they feel like a survivor, not a thriver. They don't feel like a champion. They feel like a victim. Um, so that's number one. And that breaks my heart. Number two, people need a voice. They need a voice to express what they're feeling because they don't know how to communicate it. And I think God has given me a knack and an ability to see what a group of people like salespeople are going through and speak about this awakening, speak about a hole in their heart, speak about just culturally what's going on with salespeople and I just try to lean into that. And then number three, I would say that what the rebellion, what the rebellion really is, is, and I, and I spoke on this on a podcast of, of Dale and I's podcast, which is called selling local. I spoke to this is that, you know, what a rebellion really is, is when we have had a loss, a loss, we've been defeated and we stand up and we say, I am rebelling against that defeat. I'm going to go fight again. So if you think about salespeople, Brian, we do this every day. We get defeated every day. We get a no. We get a no, but didn't work out. We get a sorry, the decision's out of my hand. We get a defeat. So we naturally are rebels because the next day, guess what we do? We show back up and do it all over again. And yep, we fight against right. the loss. So the rebellion is this massive community that says we want to fight against the former, the former version of you. We want to fight against that. And they have an awakening and they realize I want to do more. And, you know, I didn't choose the voice of the rebellion. I didn't choose to be the story guy. It's just who I was. And I think that is what the, what the rebellion gave Chris Watson is what the re rebellion with Chris Watson gives others. Dale said, you're the voice. I'm like, dude, I'm not the voice. Like I've only been here four months. And he said, you're the voice. You communicate the rebellion in a way that other people need to hear. And I'm like, yeah. okay. So then I took that and said, Brian, you are an encourager. What do you mean, Chris? Brian, look what you do so, so effortlessly in your life. Not only that, because of your memorable voice, because of what you've been through, because of what you've experienced, your encouragement lasts longer than when my mom calls me and says, honey, I'm sorry, you're having a really tough time. I'm here for you. Yeah, thanks, mom. I know you love me. But when Brian does it, a... An individual I may not know that well, and he's encouraging me, and he wants to encourage, I can draw that out of him to say, Brian, this is the superpower. How many prospects out there need your encouragement before they need your credibility? Well, and here's the thing, Chris, and I was going to go in another direction, but, but I've got to go here for just a second because here's the thing that salespeople don't understand. You have to encourage your prospect or your customer to continue to do business with you. And you have to encourage them through situations that they don't 
necessarily understand in their own business. And you have to take that salesperson hat off sometimes and just go, you want to talk for 10 minutes? You want to talk? You just, you know, I'm going to put my laptop away. I'm going to put my phone away. And you and I are going to just going to have a conversation about what's going on in your life. And Chris, I learned that so early in my career because I had customers that I saw every week, week in and week out. And I remember walking into a funeral home of a, of a customer that had lost their son suddenly because he choked to death. That's where you take your sales guy hat off and you go, come here, give me a hug. I don't have the words to tell you what I'm feeling and the hurt that I'm feeling for you right now. Just come here and give me a hug. Or walking into to a little dairy bar in Rio Grande, Ohio, and the, and the owner's not having a good day. And I said, before I get your order, let's, let's have a word of prayer. And let's just talk. And that's when I learned about, man, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so, man, I had to park there because here's what I want to say to some folks out there. What Chris and I are amplifying our voices together to say is this, is that that superpower of intentional encouragement is not unique. You can do it and you can encourage other people. So Chris, I'm going to give you the last word here. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement to this audience as we wrap up this incredible conversation? And my man, I'm going to tell you something. This has been powerful conversation. I'm, I'm grateful for it. Give the audience your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. I, I would encourage you on this is that something is tugging at your heart. I really believe it. And, and you know, you know that there's a better version of the life that you're living right now. And the, and the truth of the matter is that I believe every single person has a rebel deep down inside of them. Someone that is fighting the loss, fighting the story they're telling themselves, fighting what other people have conveyed to you. There's a rebel deep down inside and the awakening has begun in you. And right now, actually, while you're listening to this, the awakening may be beginning and you're feeling it and you're feeling stirred. And what I would tell you is don't run away from that. I would encourage you to feel that out. I would encourage you to dive deep into the roots of that. I would encourage you to find Brian, find me, find someone that says, I want to help you. I want to help you live out what that is. Yes, we're called the sales rebellion. Yes, it's a great marketing, whatever. Like, yes, Dale has done a phenomenal job, but I believe that each of us have a rebel deep down inside of us and that we, when we have this awakening, we need a community to be able to help us foster what that is. I also want to take a minute and just say that that Brian Sexton, in my opinion, is one of the most genuine, raw, real individuals that I have experienced and met probably since a guy like my dad. And so for those that are listening, um, I'm just going to hype him up and say, go follow his stuff, go get ready for his book, go buy that book, go, go link up with him on LinkedIn because – there's never a time I don't walk away from a text, a conversation, a, a, a Zoom call, a hideaway, a, 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 a GIF, a, like whatever it is, and don't feel a little bit extra juice. And so I'll take it one step further. If you're listening to this, who else needs to hear this? Who else needs the encouragement? Who else needs to do that? Because Brian, I think one of the most powerful things is, is that sometimes when we're so focused on ourselves, that it becomes very difficult to take action. But when we stop for a second and we focus on giving to others, it actually fixes the problem that we were having eternally ourselves, right? It's like those days I didn't want to show up to church. For some reason, the sermon was right for me. I don't know why, but it was right for me and I didn't want to be there at the time. Or the time that I was so upset about something that happened in my life and my mom's like, hey, we're going to go feed the homeless. And something happened when I fed the homeless, it just made me, whatever I was upset about, go away. So I know that's a long encouragement, people, but uh, I hope you hear my heart. And uh, man, I, I, I really appreciate you having me on, brother. And this has been phenomenal. Thanks for making me go deep. Thanks for making me 
get a little emotional, and uh, I wish you all the best. Oh, dude, this has been this has been fantastic. Go to LinkedIn, connect with Chris Watson right now, um, and tell him personalize that invite. Tell him you heard the intentional encourager podcast story, um, because Chris posts every day a story from his sales career, his life, or his background, and they're phenomenal. I, I look, I'm, I'm sitting there going. In, in, a, in a minute and a half that it took me to read his story that he posed, I'm like, this is incredible. This is such a good story. Connect with him. I know where I can find you on LinkedIn, but where else are you at? I, I know the salesrebellion.com, uh, but, but where else can people find you, Chris? Yep. Uh, website, uh, www.thechriswatson.com. Uh, Twitter, it's the four stories. Instagram, it's the four stories. If you want to know about the four stories, ping me. We'll, we'll get into it. Just wasn't the right timing on here. And um, you can go check out my book on Amazon if you want. It's called Earn Your Story by Chris Watson. And uh, it's got a workbook in there and it's very affordable. And if you can't pay for it, ping me. I'll send you a free one. Well, here's the thing, man. So, you know, we, we may have to do another Intentional Encourager podcast just to get into the four stories. I mean, it's, you know, kind of lends itself to that, you know, other than being a St. Louis Cardinals fan, this is one of the best dudes that I know. And it's like, and if you're, if you're not a baseball fan, I'm a, I'm a diehard Cincinnati Reds fan, have been since I was a kid. Chris is a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan, has been one since he's a kid. They're in the same division. They don't like each other. But other than that, this is one of the most brilliant dudes I know. And Chris Watson, man, thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks, brother. It was a pleasure. My thanks, as always, to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through His Word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.